2: I can't see you at all. Maybe I should just go inside. I'm just like addicted to the sun, you know. In the summer, I just want to be outside all day, all the time.
0: For what it's worth, we hear half you and the other half's wind.
1: Yeah, it's like the audio's kind of tough. Yeah.
2: Okay, I'll go inside. Sorry
1: to ruin your tanning session.
2: I know. Jeez. Super well, you know, Hamptons. I might not be. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be uh, super jacked and fit this season, but I'll sure be tanned. So I'll look. Uh, I'll look better, even if I'm not that fit.
0: What are you doing in the Hamptons?
2: Uh, I just rented a house with some friends. I've just been like kind of avoiding this whole COVID situation by just like kind of throwing money at at the situation to make my life a little bit more enjoyable.
1: Spending money always makes things
2: better.
0: Didn't you spend like a month upstate New York?
2: I spent two months upstate New York and um, then I came home and it was good because I was like getting good training in upstate New York, but then I realized, oh, we're not going to have races till 2021. So I was like, I should just come back to New York because there's no point being in the middle of the woods if I'm not doing like a big training push. Um, so then I came back to New York, and then I got annoyed with New York because of the riots. So then we went, I went to the Hamptons. Man.
1: See, I feel like being up like in the middle of the sticks would just – I would never come back. I would just be there permanently. That's not the case with you, huh?
2: In the middle? No. I like – no, I'm very social. I like a lot of people. I like feel like I have like two personalities. Like I'm like this athlete, but I'm also kind of like a social light a little bit. So now that there's no racing, I can almost like live my other life, <laughs> which is just, yeah, having fun with my friends. and
1: You're not supposed to be socializing and... right now, Faye. You're supposed to have no
2: life. Ten people are under. Ten people are under. We're following those rules. We're under ten people in this house.
0: You might have had the bougiest response to riots i've ever heard i just i I, I couldn't take it so i just went to the hamptons
2: i know and i didn't want to like i i don't like find it like very respectful to be like posting about this stuff when the world is you know kind of in the situation it is so yeah i i like keep all that stuff like private i like don't post a lot on social media about my personal life because i just like don't feel like it's a good place um so only like now you guys know what, what I'm actually up to, but yeah, very different than I think a lot of people think. It's not just uh, training all the time, especially because these races are canceled. How are you guys managing it?
1: Good, I guess, the gym's open here yeah. tomorrow, actually. We, uh, we're pulling the rug out tomorrow, Minnesota is, so it's back to the germs and grunting and spitting in the gym. So we're gonna see how that plays out. I go back with clients. You do a lot of spitting in your gym? Are you kidding me? Do you ever have you ever spotted a guy on a bench press? They you get basically they spit right in your face as you're leaning over them. Like there's gonna have to be some you know precautions taken. Feel
0: like maybe you have a different kind of gym than you're at than I am. We don't put each other's face a whole lot.
1: I just don't think you hang out with people strong enough to heavy bench press or things like that. So you just don't deal with it like I do.
0: That's true. (laughs) So Faye. Are you lifting? Are you like staying with the what did Kevin Donny call you on a, a pot on the show? The muscle hamster? Are you going with that, or are you just kind of getting through life until this gets back on track?
2: Um, I've been actually doing this, which actually I might carry on and do like long term with my training. I've been doing three weeks of training and then taking a week off, like deload week, which is technically like kind of what what you should do and naturally we do that because we have races so we have tapers built in so naturally i never do that because we just are racing all the time that naturally it just happens so i've been kind of doing that so i like every third week i kind of just do whatever the, the what i want so this is my third week in the hamptons so now i'm just like running for fun and my, my my do whatever i want still ends up being like 10 to 12 miles of running most days um, i love just like slow easy running um, because I just, I like to be outside and I don't know what else really, it's like just fun, just kind of being outside and getting on the trail. So I just been doing low end aerobic work. Um, and then I've been doing like every once in a while in the middle of a run, I'll kind of just do some intensity. Like, um, I'll throw in like a 15 minute tempo in the middle of an hour run it's just like sporadic, or I'll decide to like push certain Hills on a trail or, but nothing structured. I haven't, and I've been actually doing workouts that I don't think are that, um, useful but I enjoy them so I've been doing like 400s and short speed yeah um, just to have fun so yeah nothing nothing that I hate I can't handle that right now like doing the workouts that I hate when we're not going to be racing all year so I'm just keeping like the good grindy workouts that I know that work I'm saving those for later when I have a bit more motivation and a bit more reason to do those
0: that's a fun way to train
2: yeah
1: what about you guys Oh uh, God, it's all over the place. I think we're actually kind of, I'm, well, Bracken's injured as shit, so he doesn't count. And then uh, for me, I've been doing the same thing. I think whatever workout excites me, I don't want to do anything that I dread because that is just a waste of time right now. And whatever, we're not racing for another two months, probably for a race that matters at least. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of doing the exact same thing. If I'm tired, I'm taking a break. If I want to push, I push. And I just listen kind of day to day. I think that's the way to go right now because if you're super focused um, there's a real chance that you could just kind of overtrain too early for no real reason. And that, that could also be detrimental.
2: Right. No, I agree. Yeah. No, I know, I agree. I just think it's just got to be fun and it's got to be enjoyable. And life isn't like that great right now. So the, the training has to be fun and enjoyable because the rest of life is kind of shit. So, um, yeah, it's kind of the best part of my, my day. Well, I mean, not really. I, best part of my day is probably drinking on the beach with my friends. But, you know, it's <laughs> up there in terms of um, like things to do, I guess.
0: i I agree and i think it's we're all three of us are in a different spot than than some other people in the sport are like I, i feel like we're kind of part of the older guard where there's not a whole lot of like new tricks we have to be learning we're more like refining our practices where maybe some of the young people really need a good extended training block right now to get some of their their fitness aspects up that are lacking because they're just getting into the sport but like faye there's not a whole lot of new tricks you're learning right now it's just getting better at what you already do. And that doesn't really require you to just destroy yourself mentally in the off season.
2: Right. Yeah. I I agree. I think the tricks that I probably do could learn is like technical running. I'm a terrible technical runner. I just like, I'm not coordinated. Like I can't dance. I'm not coordinated. I think like I have just some slow reaction time with my brain and my feet. And that's one thing (laughs) I could be, I could be working on, but again, like I'm not going to keep spending is spending money on airbnbs to be in the environment to work on technical running or taking a two hour i can't get out on like i'm not going to take public transit right now with, out of new york to get on that stuff so yeah i agree and like i think so many people like that's what we've been telling our athletes i'm sure you guys have been telling yours like oh shit we actually have time to do a proper aerobic base building phase we've never really had time to do that because of all the racing so i think um although us professionals may come into the season perhaps not as fit I think more of the um, like open heat and not so competitive um, folks will actually come into the season actually in better shape than they would have if they just just race, 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 race.
0: I wonder if you've been seeing this with your clients, Faye. I've had a, several people in the last month who are like, you know, I'm like four pounds over race weight or six pounds over, or I haven't done my sharpening mm-hmm. stuff. Why am I faster than I was at this point last year? Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're in that yeah. weird stage where you're right, they've done a real proper build because they haven't had 15 races already. And so even though they don't feel as sharp as they normally would, their actual fitness is higher. It's this crazy stage where you're right, that open age group class are way more advanced than they would normally be right now.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, they're kind of doing what we do in the winter time to actually get fit and and build that base. They're actually for the first time actually doing that. So it's kind of cool to see. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, you know what I think though, I think a lot like when you do this like, quote unquote base phase, like you're assigning some probably longer threshold work and stuff that not to generalize, but I think some of the open class kind of veers away from like the longer threshold stuff and that type of like non-sexy yeah. work. And that's the stuff you're having everybody do right now, which had been missing probably from their programs. That's what really builds fitness. So like, yeah, I'm assuming that's the exactly. case.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly, exactly. And then I'm doing the opposite. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm doing like fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> not doing what I'm prescribing. I always feel bad giving them tempos down. Like, oh, I'm really done at tempo. <laughs> that 10 minute pickup as a tempo. Ah, sure. Close enough. I was in the right zone, maybe for a third of the time that I should have been, but ah, better than nothing.
1: <laughs> but you know what, though, the way you're training, I bet, like if somebody said, Faye, there's a race in three weeks, you could be like, I can make it work. I could get there in three weeks.
2: Exactly. That's what I want to be. I want to be like 70 to 80%. And then just, and we're going to have, we're going to have to have more notice than three weeks because they can't, it takes so long to put on a Spartan race and get everything organized, especially those big races. So we're going to have plenty of time. As soon as they give us a date, it'll be easy to bounce back.
0: It will be. And, And it's, even though like life sucks for a lot of things right now, I feel like coming out of this, is gonna change the way like normal is moving forward. Like I think working remotely is is gonna become a huge part of our economy. And I think that having a more periodized race season might be a result of this. I think that Spartan will put on this huge season next year for everyone to get to a ton of races, but they might start periodizing like mini chunks of season instead. And that would be fun to get back to where you could have like three distinct seasons in a year.
2: Yeah, that would be awesome. It's it's nice to think about those things, but I think we've all experienced this with Spartan. Because I have to, what we have to keep in mind is it's not a sport. It's right. a company and they're mm-hmm. gonna do what they need to do business-wise. And it's usually, it's rarely in our favor. Um, and yeah, that's, that's so true. frustrating. That's so frustrating about, about it, but it's just, it is the way it is. I gotta make a move and get my charger. My uh, thing is gonna, I'll still talk to you guys. I'm just gonna be moving. I, my uh, computer is already dead. Just been working so, so uh, hard all day already. already <laughs> drained my battery.
1: All yeah, day? It's, it's 9 a.m. Don't you get up about now?
2: I got up at, uh, no, I was up at 7 because I'm trying to get my work done so I can actually enjoy um, the beach because yesterday I didn't finish work till like 4 and I was like, that is not enough beach time. Like, that's too, too late. So I got up early to get a head start on, or start on things. Hmm.
0: If you had to choose, are you about water or are you about mountains?
2: I, uh, that if I'm train if I'm still an athlete, I'm going to say mountains for sure, because it just makes training actually way, 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 way more enjoyable. But if I'm not an athlete, I'm going to say the beach because that makes recreational activities way, 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 way more enjoyable. You seem
0: to be like, from a lifestyle standpoint, our female version of like of, of what the men have in Hunter, where I feel like you don't get enough credit for how much emphasis you place on your social life. I feel like you are the, the most outgoing party animal type of the female side of the sport that we have. And you have been since the, like the day I met you.
2: I know, when we first started these championship series races, all the after parties that everyone went to we all because of me and myself organizing them and everyone. I just didn't understand why people didn't want to party and weren't social. Like, I just, I don't get that, but I've always been that way. Like even in, um, like even in university, like I always was like, ah, oh, shit. Like I knew I could have been faster if I just had a bit more self-control on my partying and my drinking. Um, <laughs> and not that like I'm a big booze hound and like huge, uh, like socialite in New York city, but. I just love being around people. I love my friends. Um, I just, yeah, I have not, I'm so extroverted. It's just so hard for me to just be in the woods, be by myself. Like it is extremely hard. Like I just, I can't do it. I get, I get so lonely. Um, so yeah, no, I guess I'm a little bit like Hunter in that sense.
0: Well, it seems like some people draw like their well-roundedness from from going for, I don't know, to a spin class or to hot yoga or for, you know, pool work and yours seems to come from other people. Like you, yeah, you, you seem to come alive when you can go out at the end of a workout or a week rather than to deload.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I just find people so interesting and I don't like to talk about fitness and and sports all the time. So I find myself naturally kind of being friends with people that, that do different things that are in business, that are in other things. Cause it's just it's more interesting to to talk about those things for me because it's not part of my job. So I um yeah, like I'm here in the Hamptons with like a bunch of girls and guys, like no one gives a shit about running. Like, like no one gives two shits. And that's so refreshing. And I think that's like a really important balance for me to have or i would just like be burnt out all the time and unable to um yeah kind of cope with the day-to-day because it would just always be on my mind
1: i think the difference between like you and the the average spartan athlete is i would say like the average athlete like we're all most of us are type a and we're social and we, we crave that thrill but most like practice like I don't know like they hold back during training on the partying and had the fun and then they have this big party after a race and then they go right back to the straight and narrow for four more weeks and then they have a big celebration yeah. whereas like i i'm like you in the sense where i like need these little nuggets along the way to like balance out right. the regimen um and i think that's okay to have that because sometimes even like i've lived with people that that don't train every day that don't even really get what i do And sometimes my training almost feels better that way because I'm not all consumed in it and I'm not living and dying by every little workout. And I'm not like, I have more to my life than just like the one thing, which is racing.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, you've got to, like for me, the argument has like, I've thought about and I feel like I've spent so much of my career as an obstacle course racer since, especially since I moved to New York, almost feeling guilty that I'm living in the worst possible place for training. Like, I've just felt so guilty about that. And but it literally just comes down to sitting down and rationally like thinking about, like, what are you really going to get a return of your investment on? Like, are, is it is really the whatever it is, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a year that you make in obstacle course racing really worth all those hours and uprooting your life? And and some people do it, and I'm not saying, and I'm, I really applaud those people, especially people like Nicole who made that move, and then she was out the world champion. Like, yes, that was a definite smart move, and she did get a return in that sense. But but for the most of us, like, I just I'm not someone to do something just to do it if I'm not going to get yeah return for my efforts, and I haven't found that obstacle racing is is enough to to do that. So.
1: Was it was it enough at one point, like when you first found the sport, and now now it's not?
2: Yes, I think it was enough um, initially because um, like I had a corporate job, and I basically needed to in order for to leave. I had like this number in my mind through sponsors and through this that I, I needed to make in order for me to like leave the corporate world and and still make an income. So I like like it was insane that year when I was working and trying to be like top in the world at the sport. And that was my best year. That when I was at the third at world championships and Lindsay and I were back and back that year. And um, it was worth it. Cause it enabled me to, to leave my job. And, um, but now it's like, there's, I've already done everything I can. My life isn't going to get better now from being a higher placing. I, I know that what how sponsorships work. I know how all these things work. So I just want to, um, be as fit as I can while maintaining a quality of life that I wouldn't change. I guess, like, um, so, so yeah. As long as I have all of my life like balanced and I, I go to every workout, you know, ready to just give her how like I. My, I don't know. You guys probably worked out with me, but I work out extremely hard. I follow like really polarized training, like you guys have talked about on your on your previous podcast. I love. Um, I I do everything very very polarized. So my hard days like they're like almost a like race effort. Like I get in trouble by Jessica all the time because she's like, why was your tempo at your 10K pace? I was like, because it was five miles. It was one mile shorter than than a 10K. So I just went as hard as I could. She's like, oh, that's not the point you need. So I just, um so I'm not like saying that I don't give a shit about obstacle course racing. I do, I, I train harder than almost anyone, but it can't be everything. Like it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you, you followed that career arc that, A lot of the people a vast majority of people in our sport do which is you get a taste of it you get some extra income coming you get a little bit of fame and notoriety and you think like let's see what I can get out of this and then you go Mm -hmm. all in like I left my job I moved to the mountains you left your job you moved to a new training ground and we went after it and we got to the point where we saw like I see what my ceiling is and I see what it would take to maintain my ceiling and then I also see what the financial implications of that. And honestly, if I stay where I'm at, or if I put a hundred percent in, it's like a 10% difference. Yeah. And it really comes down to that motivation. At that point, you have the Atkinses, and you have the right. hunters and you have the you know, Nichols who are just all in on the process. Like they are fulfilled. A- 100%. by me. And then there's people like you and I who are like, I have a number in my mind. And if that number, yeah. if I see it's not going to go up well, my happiness in my life ends up mattering more, but everyone goes all in and then half Mm -hmm. the people pull back and decide what can I maintain and the other half, stay all in like to the bitter end.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and that's just it. The only reason it makes sense to invest all your time and all your energy in obstacle course racing is if it is a way of life for you. And I think we see that through the Atkins are a great example of that Mm -hmm. to them. They don't care if, it's not a money thing. It is, it is how they live. They would live this way if there weren't any races. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I would like to live that way. Like it just does sound really appealing, but like, what am I going to go tell? Like my boyfriend, like, Hey, like, we're not going to be here for your job. We're going to like totally change our lifestyle, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this, just, just live, you know, in a nice little cabin and live the simple life. And he would be like, uh, not happening. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, uh, a month into it and be like, um, so like, is there a bar close by? Like, should we go for dinner? Like, where's all the people? Like, I would just go start group." So it just doesn't work out, but.
1: Faye, hey, you let me, I was going to say this to later to ask about this, but I'm curious, uh, since you kind of brought it up, um, cause you've been in New York for almost two years now. How long has it been?
2: Yeah. Over two years. Yeah. Like two, I think it'll be three this summer or maybe two this summer. I can't remember.
1: Somewhere around there. Um, you know, and you were, where were you in Calgary? You were, you were in San Diego before you had access to like mountains and elevation and all of that. And now you, you have to like really mm-hmm. work, you have to work for it. you, have, like take a train out of the city and then you got to get to the trailhead and it's a big process. Um, I'm just so curious, like how your change in focus of your training had to go with that transition. Has it been like a, like a serious movement of the puzzle pieces or not? Like, I, I guess it would just complicate things compared to how you were used to training.
2: Yeah, so, um, and I think this is just, I think this is a good topic, because I think the bottom line is just accepting your situation. And I've had a really, really, really bad attitude about it for years. And this is the first year I've just accepted it and realized this is my thing. This is my handicap. And now I look at it as and I, I do think about this when I'm not running in the in the mountains, I'm on the road, and I'm like, this is not specific. Oh, this is driving me nuts. This is not what I'm – we're the worst technical runner, too. So if anyone needs to be on the trails, it's me. Um, but how I try and think about it now is, like, okay, Nicole's got a busted hip. Like, that's her handicap. Bracken's got kids. That's his handicap. Like, I hate to call <laughs> kids a handicap. Like, that sounds so terrible. No, you're but right. everyone's got something in their life that they have to work around. And – So I've been trying to frame it like that instead of framing it like, like sometimes like, you know, not to get into my relationship, but sometimes I tell Scott like, oh, I did have had a bad race because we have to be in New York. And I was and that's like a very terrible thing to say. Um, So I've been reframing it that way. But when I first moved to New York, I basically was so I was like, this isn't going to affect my training. I am going to get to the elevation and the elevation is about an hour and a half if you have a car. So what I was doing and I don't have a car and I was again, renting cars or doing um, like car to go. And I was so determined. And it's like, I would spend $80 to get a workout in. Cause I would have to get a car to go. So do I want to mm-hmm. spend $80 to get a work? Like that's, that's not sustainable. And, or I was, I literally taking the, riding my bike city bike to the ferry then crossing over the ferry into New Jersey and then getting picked up by my friend. And then we'd go out just on weekends and go out for a two hour run. And then we'd come back and I have to do it all in reverse, the bike to the ferry to the bike, to the back to my apartment. And it, it was, I, I think that our even our my coaching business wasn't even growing because I had no time for anything else. I was just commuting. And I was like, again, it comes back to that investment. Was that worth it? Like, no. So now I don't fight it anymore. I just affect it. I just I come into terms that I'm never going to run on trails unless I'm um, on a, on a, on a vacation. And I try and plan like what you said, Kirk, about where you were vacationing with Jess. I I like to plan my vacations around access to a trailhead. So I will Um, obsessively look at where state parks are. And anytime I have the opportunity to take a trip with friends or to take a trip anywhere, I I make sure that it's close to a trail. So I do get some technical, I do get some trail work as much as I get vacation time, which my life is, I'm lucky. I have a very, I have a very nice life and I do end up taking a lot of vacation time so I do get more trails than you think but not consistently um but yeah it comes down to I do a time a big believer um and we don't need to like get into this but I like really think that like lunges and just doing some like really specific step ups lunges step up lunges reverse lunge sideways lunge lateral lunges, all this leg work my legs are so strong like when I climb up mountains like they're not I don't I really don't believe my legs are not limiting me Like I've got just I've got such good relative strength that um, the only portion that I'm missing from uphill running is the the technical aspect of it. And that's more on the descents. I don't really think not being in the mountains has affected my climbing that much, Um, obviously a little bit, though.
0: That kind of leads me into something I was curious about um because in my own situation not not that this is about me but i want to hear your version of this when lisa and i decided to leave colorado after three years like that that had been my most successful period of racing where i felt like i can race with just about anyone i'm not going to be the world champ but in any one race i might beat the world champ that's how i felt and then we decided to leave and we acknowledged the fact like this is the end of that when i leave altitude and i leave mountains i am no longer a player on the world stage in the mountains and that's that's okay like i can go back to being a regional and, and show up to big races and maybe take my lumps but like i i accepted that that's what's going to happen now like family coaching that's going to take the front seat and racing will be like the supporting factor to that and that was my negative reaction kind of like how you said well i'm in new york this is the worst mine was i'm not at altitude racing can't possibly be good for me anymore and i kind of mm-hmm. was mired in that for a while and then i i during this whole surgery thing, I've realized I can't control that. But what I can control is what I can be the best in the world at, at where I live. And I realized Mm -hmm. at my best, I think I was the best compromised fatigued runner in the world. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I was the best at it. Like if everyone was tired, I wasn't the fastest, but I think I kept the highest percentage of my maximum speed out of anyone that I knew when I was tired. And that's why Mm -hmm. I was able to do well. And so it was like, all right, forget Mm -hmm. it. Maybe I'll never be training in the mountains, but I have to use my terrain to be the best fatigued runner that I've ever been in my life. And that won't change no matter Mm -hmm. where I live. I'm curious what your process was. Like when you decided, okay, I'm not going to have this as my crutch anymore. Did you focus on something and say, if I can't be the best descender, I'm going to be the best blank because of where I live?
2: Yeah, I think that just having the best aerobic engine and... I really think I do. It's, it's, it's hard for me to vouch for myself because um, what people don't see is those races that I can't came in fourth in North Americans. I've failed a couple things. Like I've done 60 burpees. Like if you take out all that burpee time, like I'm right there with Nicole and Lindsay in terms of pure engine. Like I've been, I've made it to the top of in first, between first and third the top of the mountain in Tahoe like multiple times and it's it's easy to say oh she would, you know you know and then I fell apart but no it's just I don't know how to run downhill. But in terms of just raw engine, like I'm and so that is something that I guess that I was like I want to make no excuses. I want to make sure that I have like that staying power and like just really good um a really a strong strong I guess threshold. Like um and that's really easy to do in New York because there's such great marathon girls here. So it's miserable. I do not like training, um, with the marathoners. Um, but that's what I have. So that I just, I think that, yeah, so that's kind of been what I've been sort of focusing on and it's hard now because the races have gotten shorter, but in terms of like a long beast thing, I'm not going to fizzle out. If anything, I'm going to fuck up a few obstacles and, um, have that happen. But raw engine is on point, I guess. From all the running I do in the park and I do think like one thing I do think too about running all the time in trails is I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with this and it's like because you're up and down up and down you don't have that like consistent heart rate or if you're doing a tempo you're not really like pushing that line because you get little tiny breaks that's why, and it's easier. And that's why like all my athletes, like I love running on the trails and kind of out of shape. Some out of shape people like say, oh, I can tr- run on the trails, but I just can't do the road. And it's because you're not fit enough to do the road in some instances, like you, you're you able to have staying power on the trails because you're going in and out of heart rate zones. So you're getting some added recovery. But when you're just redlining from start to finish on a road, it's freaking hard.
0: You nailed that. I, I, I believe you're absolutely right. Yeah, well, thank you. I want to know, um,
1: cause you just mentioned this about, uh, training, like you're doing lunging and box step ups and all that. Um, so you have to be probably the most accomplished athlete that is like, we'll call it a flatlander that can still go and throw down in the mountains. For example, like what people didn't see in West Virginia, you were thrown down a temple this last year with everybody and you got stuck at the box for like four minutes or whatever the frick it was. And nobody saw that. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you're out of the race, but like you can run mountains just with anybody so I really do want to dive into that just a little bit. Uh, one, do you do treadmill work when you're in the cities and do incline work there? And two, what are some other things you throw in your game plan? Do you do these lunges while you're running or are they separate strength workouts? Like, could you give us like maybe a little more of a snapshot of how that looks for you?
2: Yeah. So um, I've always trained. Um, I think there's a like, kind of two ways to train for obstacle course racing, like general theories that maybe. um have evolved over the time. So there's this concept of like taking your running and your strength training and keeping them separate. Um, And then, or like kind of like, and then there's like compromise run workouts or or putting them together in, in these sort of circuits. And I see both arguments to both sides. I've always leaned a bit more to, I basically want to get as strong as I can and I want to get as fast as I can. So, and so that when I put them together, obviously they're going to decrease, but I have such a high ceiling. That when they come together, it, they're still going to be better than mm-hmm. than the rest. Um, or you can do them together, which I see value in because that's very sports specific and you get used to how that feels. And I think a lot of people get shocked into racing because they're like, oh, that's what that running feels like after you carry a bucket. So I see the sports specific argument for that side of the coin. But um, so I've always trained the first way. Um, and... I think that it, work, it it works fairly well, but I, I, do, I do think that after re- listening to some of your guys' podcasts that like maybe every once in a while, like closer to races, like I, maybe I'll do some more hybrid circuity type stuff just to get used to that feeling. But I don't really feel like I necessarily always need to, to work on that because I've been racing so much and I'm not afraid of pain and I'm not afraid of being discomfort that I'm not going to freak out if something feels miserable when I'm running. I'm just going to deal with it because I'm fairly, um, I have a fairly strong pain tolerance. So it's just going to be the way it is.
0: This is something we look forward to actually. This is something that we talked about on our last training Tuesday. We said Faye's about to talk about this on this episode. I
1: said, I wanted to call you out on it. I, I actually yeah. agree with you to, to interject. I actually agree with you hundred percent that you should work your top end ceilings of both your running and your strength separately. Like that is, I couldn't agree with you more I just think once in a while merging the two just maximizes the performance output when it matters. But the staple of the, each program is what you're talking about. And I think that's, I'm glad you said that because yeah, I think maybe I we maybe we mislead people in thinking that all we do is compromise leg run work and we don't do raw strength work at times, but you're right, it's important right. to work the hard. Yeah, both.
2: Right, yeah, and, and I kind of knew you got what you guys meant from that. Um, and, and honestly, this is what I really, I mean, I've talked to both of you guys a lot about training and this is what I've really, really appreciated. And this is why I think you guys are good coaches is because you, you're not set in your ways. There's different ways of doing things. And I think like if we could sit down and write programs for athletes, like it would be awesome, you know, me to give you some workouts, you guys to give me some workouts. Cause I think that would, that's like the best training program, especially for an event that is so random and chaotic, like obstacle course racing, being able to sprinkle in different things here or there and play around with those, um, I think is, is the key They're, we can't pretend like this is marathon training and we have a textbook that we're following. It's just not the way it is. So um, yeah, it's been nice listening to your guys's podcasts and um, because of the gym situation, um, I've been actually having to do hybrid workouts with a lot of our athletes because they don't have heavy enough weights to actually get a strength benefit and they want to have a bit more fun and they are now because there's not races so the hybrid ones are a little bit more fun from them so i've been doing some some stuff with them and and they're really really liking it but keeping in mind that you still need that the basics like you still need that base and that base comes from the tempo work the long slow easy runs that stuff and then hitting the gym and getting your pull strength and and getting all those components in there as well Um, so, yeah, I think we, we're kind of talking the same thing. We're just highlighting different areas.
0: Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons I love, like, I this podcast, since starting this, how long have we been doing this, Kirk? Six months? Uh, five? Not, not even five, maybe, yeah. This five. has been, like, I feel like continuing education for me as an athlete and a coach because every single person we talk to, I see something from outside of my blinder. Like, it's so hard not to get caught up in our own, like, tunnel vision of what we always do. And Nicole and you both said the exact same thing, which is I like to keep my strength work and running work separate. Nicole said she never does compromise run. And yet I look at mm-hmm. both of you and I think that you two are two of the best in the sport, like gender nonwithstanding, I think you two are two of the best compromised runners in the sport. Faye, I looked at you in Chicago, watching you run during high rocks, competing at the same time as you, and I, it was like so clear to me, Faye is better at this than I am. Like not she's better Thank in the you. women's field than I am in the men's. Like she's literally better at running these thousands coming off of something that I am. And then to hear you say, yeah, I don't like combining them that much. It's crazy to hear that. But it's really good to know that there are athletes who respond differently to things. Like I, I after 100%. listening to you and, and Nicole, I, I spent like a week thinking, maybe I need to just go totally separate. Like separation of church and state on my workouts. And after a while, I realized I'm just a responder to compromised workouts. And mm-hmm. they are a responder to none. And it's it's been so healthy for us to hear outside perspectives because too often you hear people are like, this is the way you do it. And if not, you're an idiot. And that's just not the way to go about coaching and training.
2: Yeah, 100%.
0: But it blows my mind. Personally, like, because I can't get by on that training, it blows my mind to hear that you can do what you did in Chicago without a ton of specific work of cross-domain workouts. It's crazy to me.
2: So, yeah, to, to kind of fill you in what I did before the High Rocks events, like, I did, obviously didn't have that much time to, to train for them, uh, and no no one did, I guess, because they kind of just sprung on this new event, and everyone was getting ready for Spartan races, and it was shortly after Worlds, I think, I can't remember. But, um. So what I did do, yeah. So I obviously kept my my running separate, my strength separate, like I always do. But just like I was saying, to understand the, and this was actually Scott's idea, uh, my boyfriend. He goes, "Faye, I think that the row, looking at the whatever, uh, MP, MP, we're looking at her splits, he noticed that her her slowest runtime was after the row, like significantly. So he said, like, I think that the row does something." To your legs, it just makes you run like shit after. You probably should understand that feeling. And so, I actually did a compromise run work, but I I did this like little tiny thing where I rowed for five hundred meters and then I, I ran and then I did something else just to kind of see what that felt like. And I'm really glad that I did that because although I say like I'd be able to deal with the pain and I'm so tough, for some reason that rower that run after sucked so bad and I'm so glad I was prepared for that mentally. And so I didn't think in the race, oh, this feels so terrible. Like I'm just having a bad race. And then the the negative thoughts come and then you just end up kind of subconsciously sort of giving up and throwing in the towel. I'm glad I did practice that uh, aspect. I found that hugely valuable. Um, And I also think where compromise money would have been like really, really effective is when the obstacles were really, really heavy. Like back in the day when they had a heavy ass sandbag where it actually like broke like structurally broke your down that running after it actually hurt like your lower back was fried and all that stuff now it's it's almost like the obstacles are just more um inconveniences and, and things in our way than then stuff that's really changing the way we run after um but yeah that's what I did for high rock so I think I did like one or two of those scenarios, I think I did, I did, I tested out the running with the lunges too, to see how that felt.
0: Hey, I did one or two per week at a minimum <laughs> for nine weeks. <laughs> and you out transitioned me on every run. So again, it just, it's just so clear that people respond in different ways, but it's, I, I think your ability to run through fatigue is second to none. It's incredible to watch.
2: Well, thank you. But I will say like what, um this is a whole different topic. I'm related to, to running and strength. This is related to functional movement. Is what I got exposed there was it took me eight minutes to do the wall balls. Um, and I was not that had nothing to do with fitness, that had nothing to do with strength. I literally can't. I had to use the bucket and because like I was afraid of them no repping me. Um, because I literally am not really that functional in a lot of different positions. I've been running um i've been running my whole life so my range of motion is very limited because i don't work outside of the parameters of a running stride very often and i lift like my upper body like i lift like you know just limited movements because there's only so many movements that you really need to master in obstacle racing um but that was like hugely exposed it was like shit like i actually do not move very well like at all like um, it was kind of scary to sort of find that out. I was like, Oh shit. Like this is the first time that the mobility has totally limited, limited my performance. And it was kind of the kick in the butt that I needed. I was like, shit, I need to, I've never done mobility because I don't get injured. Um, and I just like, I'm like, Oh, it's not affecting my performance. So why do it? But that was the first time that my mobility actually affected my performance. And that was kind of cool. Cause it gave me the kick in the ass to kind of go on a proper mobility program, um, and that's been fun, and I've been feeling like a whole different person, like way, way, way better. Um, mobility in my body is actually translated to my feet. I used to wake up in the morning with really, really tender, sore feet. Um, and now probably because my ankles are more, and more mobile, I'm not slapping the ground as much when I'm running. I'm getting like a, a proper kind of foot strike because I actually have some movement in my ankles and my feet have like never felt better. I didn't realize how bad my feet were but I think it was just from being like a cart, like being like a stiff pole from everything above. <laughs>
1: when you say you didn't do mobility, you're talking like, if I recall, you didn't stretch after runs. You didn't do it. You ran no. and when the run was over, it was over.
2: Yeah, I, I haven't done any stretching or mobility my whole running career. Not not at all, none.
1: You touched on something that I, I very much agree with. And we talk about, when we talk about compromise running and now you talk about you trained like the row to run transition, If anything, if you're like experiencing that sensation for the first time in a race, it is going to compromise your ability to perform your best. But at least being like, at least having the experience of that feeling doesn't make it unrecognizable. And people told me this when, you know, I spent two weeks out at Elevation before Tahoe this last year, and most experts would agree marginal gains were made for me from the adaptation standpoint in two weeks. But for two weeks, I knew what it felt like to run feeling like shit every day and when i went to race that that feeling didn't catch me off guard and i was able to like at least be comfortable with it and and it sounds like i don't know maybe that was a little bit of what you experienced at high rocks like at least it wasn't new to you
2: yeah exactly that's exactly it yeah it didn't like yeah it didn't it didn't throw me off my game i guess is the best way to put it because i was prepared yeah. for it
1: and we talk about like people coming off of an obstacle and being gasping and out of breath and then they just slow their pace to let themselves catch up because they're scared they might blow up but really if they understood how that worked and expose themselves to that more often, they'd be comfortable going right mm-hmm. back into their race pace because they would trust, you know, that feeling. Whereas when you experience it for the first time, it's scary and whatever. But um, we don't need to dwell on that. But actually, Faye, I want to we can chat training along the way, but I want to take a little trip down memory lane for you because what we like to do is get to know people here. And we uh, you know, I don't know if our listeners all know you from way back in the day and where your running career started and all of that. Um so I don't know, walk. Can you walk us back and just tell us where this where this whole endurance thing started for you?
2: Yeah, um, it started a long, long time ago, and I think that's why sometimes I hate to come across as like negative, like oh, during during COVID, like I'm taking a break, and da, da 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 da. But this is why, like, I need a lot of breaks, and and is because I've been doing this for so long, and I've actually like been burnt out, and I've quit. And I like found myself back and I'm like, no, damn it. I'm competitive endurance sports. This is not what I want. And I keep coming back to the endurance world just in like a variety of different ways. But it started, I guess like it started way, way back, like in either grade eight or grade nine, Um, we would, at gym class, we would do like um, loops around um, the school. It was about 600 meters and we would do that as a warm up. And I like didn't understand why like people would just like walk jog. Like I, I just, to me, it was like, it was a race or it was like, let's see how fast I can get this done. Um, So I like started doing like these little warm up runs, um, like all out, like, and my teachers, like I had beat everyone. And my teachers were kind of like, shit, like this girl's like really good. Like, um, so they kind of told my parents and like said, like, she needs to be, you need to put her in track basically. So I kind of got like almost like forced into it. Um, But I, I, it was like at a very young age, I think what was really evident as I was like, intrigued by pain and it really intrigued by pushing myself running and at that like no other kids like whatever that i was hanging out with like ever did that i was like this oddball that was just like running hard all the time um and yeah then i got like stupid fit from that like i mean i i have a faster 5k when i was 16 than i do now like i was a great runner i was top in i was top in um canada for a while um, actually I was top in Canada for a while and had some provincial records um, until my business partner Jessica came along and then she basically became the new star um, <laughs> and then we went to university and um, I had full rides like to American schools but I decided to stay in Canada um, for other reasons but yeah, I'll um, offer you I got remember? one. Like I can't, I can't even, I got Columbia, but that was financial aid because it was an Ivy league. So, but Columbia actually, was it Columbia that came? No, it wasn't Columbia. Right. Because that was an Ivy league. And I didn't have, I was, maybe it was grades. Maybe I didn't have the grades to go there or something. I can't. Um, but you know, who did university of Tulsa, I got a full ride there. Um, and I'm like, so bad with these States. Uh, one of the, I think, one of the M's, is Minnesota or something like that.
1: That sounds. Good. I went there and
2: visited, and then Tulsa, um, University of Tulsa. They actually came down. It's crazy just to talk about the American um, Canadian schooling system just quickly. Is I had a ninety five percent scholarship to Tulsa, and that five percent that my parents had to play, had to pay was equivalent to a full of uh, zero help in a Canadian school. <laughs> so like schools are so expensive that that 5% was more money or equivalent to just me staying and not getting any scholarships in Canada. So anyways, I ended up staying. I just had like a boy thing and blah, blah, blah. Um. Anyway, so I stayed and then it's just like, you know, I ran through college. I ran through university, like typical events, like 3K and 1500. Um, but yeah, always have kind of a little bit been, had a lot going on. Like, even in university, I was like, I didn't really get much faster from high school to university because I was like really distracted. Um, like, school was really hard for me. Um, and like, I just like, boy, crazy. Um, I had like really bad like FOMO, like fear of missing out. So I just like did everything. Like, and I was just pretty good at everything. Like, I remember like going to the bars. Um, out till like four o'clock in the morning and then um doing a temple run at eight o'clock the next morning. And I was like, I know I can run this tempo run um, well, but I just need to throw up first and then I'll be good. <laughs> I remember like warming up and like puking in the bushes. Um, and making sure the coaches didn't see me. And then I would like crush everyone in the temple run. Like I would just beat everyone. And then in the cool down, I'd love to like tell them about my night and how much I drank. I just felt like I was so cool. Like I could kick all your asses in this tempo run. And I also like just partied my face off the night before and I just rub it in everyone's face. And yeah, I felt like I was, I felt like on top of the world, but eventually that kind of caught up to me. I mean, I worked out, I was the same as I am now. I trained really, really, really hard, harder than anyone on the roster. Um, but yeah, I just always could never give it all my attention. I just thought life has so many different things that I want to do and be a part of. And I've just never been able to fully focus um on one thing so
1: i want to go back real quick uh you said you didn't you didn't really start running till like you were in ninth grade like that's when you realized like gym class like that was like you were 13 14 15
2: yeah uh yeah like compa- like i think i ran before that but i guess my first competitive race was yeah around then i think my first race was actually grade yeah grade nine i ran wow. a 3k
1: and you said by 16 years old, you had run a faster 5K then than you probably could now. So in like two years of consistent yeah. training, what? how fast were you running? I'm curious, like as a 16 year old girl.
2: I was almost breaking 17 minutes. I was like 17 something, 17-0.
1: Brett Bracken, what were you doing yeah. as a 17 or 16 year old boy?
0: Yeah, 16, I ran 17.24 going to kick his ass. Baby. But I mean, that's the that's, that's yeah. US. So you have that whole conversion system. I, they use Imperial. So it's really hard. To <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's fast. That's very fast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was. So is it know, one of those was crazy?
1: Things, like when you were a freshman and you came on the scene at in high school, um, it was instant. It was like, I'm a runner and I'm kicking ass. And this is like that yeah. fuel that burn. It like just hit instantly.
2: I was instantly like, it was I was a star. Like I was so good. Like it like it was crazy. Like I would do these cross country races and like I could have like stopped and had a sandwich and then like still one. Like I but I hate to like say I was, I was so so good because because you gotta keep in mind too, like it's a lot less competitive in Canada just because there's lots less population. So I don't know how it would have been
1: Calgary's a big city.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I don't know how I would have done in the American um system um high school and and university i i was an all canadian but I, I don't know if i would have been an all american like all those kind of things but um
1: i'll tell you what real quick my senior year the girls footlocker high school champion which is the biggest high school cross country race and is on a flat course ran 16 26 and that was our us and she won by like 20 seconds you very very well would have been top 5 us high school girl in high school, I believe, with those kind of times. Wouldn't you think Bracken? For sure
0: okay. top ten. Well, especially since she's not she's not the type that is like like buoyed by being out in front. Like Faye's the type that's gonna hammer at whatever pace the person next to her pushes. So yeah, I assume you, you would have been faster in the US. I don't think the Canada thing
1: holds weight. I think that you would have I think you've done really well here no matter what.
2: Thanks. And this brings a different topic which I I really liked your guys's podcast with um Dennis. And you guys talked a lot about people really pushing themselves and pain tolerance and just going out and, and running with everything you got. And that's what I think I learned at a young age. And I think that that's, what's so cool about um, being a competitive runner when you're young, you have such an ego and you're not afraid of pain. Like you just, you're just like a dog. Like you'll just run after the ball. You're just run after the leaders and you go out and you race stupidly. Yes but you learn how to push yourself and how to deal with it. And I've had some of my most painful races when I was a kid, just because I was like, I'm the best. I should be at the front. So I'll do whatever it takes to just hang on. And I wish that some of our athletes and and the people that I coach one day would just go out and just do that. Like, just, just go, just really give it everything you have because I think so many people will never actually experience um, my dad likes to call it a a near-death experience Mm -hmm. and he says you know he always said to me like you're one of the very few people that will have that amount of really pain in their life like just pure discomfort Um, and and I think that you need to hit that to know that that's your limit and then you can kind of dial it back or, or you know There have varying intensities based off that top, top intensity, but so many people don't know what that is.
0: The American high school and collegiate system does get a lot of flack for how often they race. And I get it. However, if you look at it, there's the same way you look at your schooling, where you're not becoming your professional, you're learning how to learn what your profession is. If that's the way you look at it, there's nothing more powerful than racing twice a week for nine weeks and trying a bunch of different events. Because then you've raced Mm -hmm. every style of race possible. Sometimes you were the best. Sometimes you were the worst. Sometimes you were middle of the pack. But you got to go out there and run stupidly some days, run tactically some days. And you just learn what every level of hell feels like by the end of that season. And if you didn't run in high school or college, fitness-wise, you probably didn't lose much. You can make that up. But that racing, week in and week out, you learn how to race. And that's such a valuable skill. And little kids are so much more stubborn. Like if I toe the line yeah. now at Worlds, I'm not gonna try leading. It's not gonna happen. But when I was yeah. 15, I tried to lead every single race I ever was in, and that's how you learn yeah. those things.
2: Yeah, no, hundred percent.
1: I have a question. How um, and I want to get back to then college and how you moved on with with sport. But um, you talked about like being able to push your limits and and you know just suffer, and you enjoyed the pain part of this all. And I think we all do a little bit. There's some sort of addicting quality to that, mm-hmm. but when you talk about just go run hard and all out now, when you transition to something like obstacle course racing, where it's in and out and suddenly on a stupid monkey bars, somebody put 10 seconds on you. Now you're gapped or you've gapped somebody. Do the same principles apply? Like just go all out. Well now, you know, somebody put 20 seconds on me on a sandbag and I was going all out. Now I'm defeated. How do you combat those situations?
2: Um, Hard to say. I kind of, yeah, I guess like it depends. Yeah. It's hard to say. It depends on like the length of, of race. Like all out is like, all out in one minute versus like all out in like 12 miles is very different definitions of all out, but they're still all out for that distance. It's just, you know what I mean? It's like talking about speed too. It's like, it's like, that's just, yeah. Like speed is kind of relative to the events that you're training for. 400 might be speed for us. It's not going to be speed for someone else. So yeah, I just, I just, I don't know if this is answering your question, but I, I guess I look at the obstacles sometimes as, most of them can be like little recovery breaks. And then it's kind of like, how hard can I run this next segment? So if I know there's a mile between this obstacle and that obstacle, like how hard can I not like run that mile um, so that I get to the next obstacle and I can kind of like almost like recover a little bit and then do another hard running segment. Um, So I've kind of, I break up the races like that. And so I'll look at the map. I'll, I'll see, Oh, that's barbed wire. Carl. I'll count that as like almost like a little bit of a break. Um, and, and then just sort of, instead of seeing out like this big long 12 mile race, I see it as like, like a fart lick almost kind of like a fart run, I guess is the best way to describe it. And I didn't really understand that's kind of the structure of the racing for a couple of years until I was in the sport. Um, so that's why I think that like marathon training is okay, but it's not like the best because it, it you do have a bit of changes of pace and, and more of a fart lick type um tight energy system going on than just pure um holding on to a sustained um like threshold pace kind of going it's like
1: on. one it's like one long interval session in a sense yeah we remember,
2: exactly it kind of feels more like that
1: remember brack and i think we had this conversation i don't know if a lot of listeners will know this gentleman but ian Kasky and me and you had this conversation i don't Fay. i don't know if you know ian and he realized mm-hmm. that when you look at a race Like things like you said, like a barbed wire crawl, even like a a flat bucket carry, for example, or things like those are actually, if you look at heart rate data, our heart rates are coming back down. And you can Mm -hmm. almost treat longer races as shorter races in a sense where you really are breaking it up into segments and you can keep a faster pace than you think you can because you're going to give your heart rate those mini breaks on the Z wall on X, Y, and Z. Right, right, right. That made a big difference for Ian, I remember.
0: But I remember that conversation, and that really resonated with me. Yeah, he said that you mm-hmm. race it, like, one distance down when it's OCR. A 10K OCR race, you pace like a 5K. And a 20K, yeah. you pace like and a maybe 10K. We
2: should, maybe we shouldn't talk about pacing. I think we should talk about effort. It's the effort, like a 5K. Yeah, like, because yeah. the pacing is, like, completely skewed and irrelevant, kind of in obstacle racing. But, yeah, I can see what you're saying, Brian. Exactly. Um, the effort is, like, you have to think mentally you're going into a shorter event.
0: And Faye, I would say that you—it is visible when we watch you race that that is your mindset. I love watching these replays and looking at people coming off obstacles, and you can see what their mindset is racing just by how their upper body moves when they when they hit the ground. And the moment you hit the ground, your arms are start churning like you are not running from obstacle to obstacle. You are racing to the next obstacle each time. Like there is a purposeful aggression. To your flat spots, whereas some people ease into it to recover. It's, it's a, it is very noticeable when you race that that's what you do.
2: Thanks. Yeah. No, I, I definitely do that, but I always sometimes wonder, like, am I perhaps like I can't, I don't do the obstacles that fast, and I just think it's just like another thing. Like I don't never practice the obstacles. <laughs> I don't have any of the obstacles, and I have no idea where to even find these obstacles. So I just like. I'm not proficient at the obstacles, like in in doing them very quickly, like some of the other girls. And I wonder sometimes if that's because I'm running so hard between the obstacles that I'm almost like needing them as a break and kind of taking my sweet ass time on them because I'm like trying to squeeze out like some extra recovery time. I don't know. So like, it's, it's like two different ways of racing, but I like doing it that way because I'm more comfortable hammering the run because i know what like, you can't fail a run so i'm more ha- confident being aggressive on the run because nothing bad is going to happen except you know it hurts but being really aggressive on the obstacles because i don't practice them at all um that scares me because that the risk of of screwing up something and then getting penal like getting a penalty isn't really worth that extra time
1: faye do you think um do you think what was it 2017 2018 you were still cru- you were crushing uh a lot you were racing more than for one, like when you first got into the mm-hmm. sport and you were probably failing less, weren't you, back then when you were racing your, all the time and exposing yourself yeah. to those things. Is that accurate or mm-hmm. not? Or am I missing the market? That is
2: that is accurate. Um and it's not because and I know why that is, and I've thought a lot about this, and I think you're right. Like I've been fa I, because I haven't been practicing, because the racing is how I practice because But I did before also when I was in Canada, I did have access to an obstacle course gym. So I was getting more practice. So practice has to be probably the number one reason I actually had an obstacle course gym and I haven't had one for three years now. Um, But it's I've almost become because I don't do the obstacles that much. They do the races. It's almost like a mental block. Like I'm kind of afraid of them because they're not I don't see them that often. So it's like I kind of just like almost um, like get intimidated by them now, which sounds is like really embarrassing to say as like a professional obstacle course racer, especially when the <laughs> obstacles aren't even that hard. It's like so embarrassing to say that they still kind of intimidate me. But yeah, just because I haven't like touched them a, in a while, and I get really tripped out about like different material and like different conditions. Like I'm very um, I overthink things, and and I'm um, very specific in. In the way i train and like i just have to have like to know every little tiny detail and when something doesn't something like is thrown in the way that isn't what i'm prepared for i can't handle it like i am like just not very quick at adapting and i like it freaks me out and i'm not yeah i'm not one of those athletes that just can like oh i'll learn this new skill like really quickly and just learn it on the fly like i'm very much like i need to know every angle of it. I need to practice it methodically over and over and over and then I feel comfortable. And we can't, we don't really do that.
0: Well, our sport is not different from any other sport in that our greatest strengths are always are also our biggest weaknesses. Like when Orion Atkins wins races, it's because he is always closing hard in the second half and because he didn't kill himself in the first. And when he takes second at Worlds instead of winning, it's because he ran out of room because he wasn't quite engaged enough in the first half. Like you, you right. may look at your strategy and be like, wow, well, I'm losing time on obstacles. Am I running too hard? But every race I've ever watched you win was also because you dropped people in between obstacles. Like at the level right. we're at, the best people in the world sometimes just expose our our strengths and our weaknesses right. and, and so i th- i think there's power to your style of racing i really believe that because there's nothing more terrifying in the sport than knowing i'm going to be pushed on every single step and that's the way that's the way you mm-hmm. win your races
2: mm-hmm. yeah no i like that that's so true about yeah, just the the weaknesses kind of being exposed, and it could be a you're you know you could win a race or lose a race because of them. Just kind of yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I do think on obstacles, ten like if you're tentative or you're hesitant, like that is the death of an athlete because I the know. more you're, the more you're thinking on those stupid things. And I've had to learn this too. Heck, I, one of my first races was at a race you were at. Up in Red Deer, it was mm-hmm. my second Spartan race. I failed four obstacles on day one. Oh yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I went from a lead of two minutes to losing by ten minutes, and that was my first case. Right. And I was thinking it was wet and muddy, and I was hesitant, and I didn't know what to do. And anyways, and once you just like be like, "Fuck it, I'm just attacking." It almost seems like things go better. I don't know.
2: I know one thing. I still haven't figured out, and I don't know if you guys have any tips for this. And, and I think that this is something that the listeners would like. Is like. What is up with like, why do, why are wet obstacles like just so much harder? And like, how the hell do you train for them? And like, how come when my hands are cold, like they're, they're completely useless. Like, like like it's game over. Like it's so frustrating. I don't know if you guys have any things that you do but it just drives me nuts.
0: I mean, I'm in the same boat people. I take so much crap for wearing gloves in a lot of races but it's because my hands are useless if they're cold. And so I will go to extreme lengths to keep my fingers warm or at least not frozen because I would rather look like an idiot and lose 10 seconds taking gloves on and off throughout a race or in and out of a Ziploc bag in a pocket rather than fail an obstacle. Because if my hands yeah. are cold, they're okay. If water touches them while they're cold, they might as well just be like ankles. Like there's yeah. no grip in them. Yeah. So I'm right through <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yeah. I think the only technique I found that works is I have to over grip everything, so that when I slip because I'm going to slip, it slips down to a normal grip rather than off. And that's yeah. why so I extend all my energy. I'm like cuddling on top of the bar, so I slip down slightly rather than grabbing and I'm off. But I have to have my right. hand warm and dry, otherwise I'm screwed.
2: Right, 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 right. No, that like sideways grip is is way better for shitty um, conditions. And actually in Jacksonville um, race, um, I failed the monkey bars <laughs> and I shouldn't have like, this is.
0: That is way more excusable than it used to be because Spartan has made these gaps so wide and there's a disparity in height between the bars that the smaller you are, the less ability you can even get on top of a bar, and then if it's cold and wet and muddy, like it's you still shouldn't fail them. But like if it does, it's not the embarrassment that it used to be. I don't think. And those bars were okay. wet and okay. muddy, by the way.
1: It was it was wet. Those are wet. Yeah.
0: Hey, I can probably reach a foot and a half longer. Than <laughs> <you>. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. Okay. I can hit
0: with bent arms, but you hit like completely spread eagle. It's just it's not the
2: You're same. There. holy.
0: <laughs> well, we should have video yeah,
2: you thing. are you're sh- yeah I have like look at my arms like I've got no de- I've, I've got no definition in them like
0: hey I can't been,
2: I haven't had a gym okay <laughs> nothing else <with> you. <laughs> I've lost so much muscle um like so much during this COVID like I've been doing like high rep body weight stuff da-da-da-da-da. I don't know like like crazy and it's like you know, you do need heavy weights, like you just do. And I haven't had those. And I'm like, I can see my body is, is starting to change. Like I need to put it under like load, like severely soon. <laughs> hey, let's, uh, let's go back to
1: your uh, college. So uh, I want to finish your story here, because I want to get to know how we got to Faye today. Um, so you we you went to college and you really had a balanced college experience. You were drinking and partying and throwing up and running like a badass, uh <laughs> all at the same time, which is balance. I appreciate that about you. Um, so it was your college experience you you kind of maintained your high school level of running through college and didn't get much better, but didn't get much worse. Is that is that right?
2: I took off four seconds. <laughs> I took off four seconds in the 3K <laughs> over five years. What'd you run in the 3K? I ran 9.47. Oh. But I ran 9.51 in high school. And then in university, I only ran (laughs) 9.47.
1: That sounds like nothing to people. But like when we talk, we had a time trial episode a while back, and people are still doing time trials. And they're they're all disappointed when they only improve by 20 seconds in their 5K. And they're like, I'm so disappointed. And I want (laughs) to just shake them and be like, you have no idea... How great that is, and to hear you worked a whole college career to put on four seconds. Heck, I, I worked a whole year in college to take off 1.3 seconds on my 1500 meters, and I was ecstatic. That was the best case scenario. So, like, yeah, anyways, that's good for people to hear. Four seconds,
2: yeah, yeah, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I did that and just kind of maintained, yeah, it was so I was just training. So, like, I was told, like, when I was quite young, like. If you have a chance of making the 2008 Olympics? Cause then I went to the trials. Um, and then when I kind of plateaued, I just kind of felt like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to the Olympics. And that was like really, really evident. I, I So I just kind of chalked it up to Like, I don't really think it was like, I wasn't like a, it wasn't like bad decisions and I was super distracted. That wasn't all it, it. I think I was just one of those people that, um, that, that that's my, that was my ceiling. Like I didn't quite have enough talent to, to be a professional runner um so after university I just decided to just like quit um running and I was so happy like not to do workouts and I, it was great and I was I started a personal training at this gym and everyone I started to go to these classes and everyone was like into hit training at the time like that's when that whole movement started it was like hit, hit, and everyone's using the word like functional strength and and um yeah so I got kind of into this like hit style training I had this like one of my best friends um, was like a freak with HIT training. We were really good friends and we liked to party together. And then we would like crush workouts together, like in the gym, like we would do insane stuff, like stuff I would be too terrified to do right now. Like it was torturous. Like we, I would make up these random workouts, like, like, and they really made no sense. Like I just throw exercises together. And the only thing I cared about exercises is, is this exercise, like, dynamic enough that it's going to jack up my heart rate in like five reps. And that's all I cared. I was like, this exercise has to have like the most metabolic effect on me. And if it does, it's a great exercise. And I throw it into circuits with rowing intervals, usually around 500 meters um, and running intervals, usually 400 meters. And I just make, so I was doing compromised run workouts, basically. Um, And I did that for so long and I wasn't racing. I was just doing that because I just like wanted to burn off all the fun that I was having, I guess. Um,
0: (laughs) You're one of the only people that was training semi well for OCR before you tried your first OCR race.
2: Yeah. And then I started training for OCR and then I now don't train that way, which is, and the reason I stopped training that way is um, if you guys, like, like I touched on it earlier, like see how poorly I move. Um, imagine those poor movements in high repetition, like soul crushing workouts. I was, I felt like a bag of shit, like all the time. And I actually had one of the, um, one of the, um, Richard, who was one of the trainers at my gym. He actually took me and me aside as I started obstacle course racing. And he said to me, he said, Faye, like, I just think that you should just keep your intensity just with running. and." And just do your come in and just do your just strength work. Like don't put them together anymore because he was watching my form and he was just seeing me just destroy my body in the gym day in and day out. That that was kind of his um recommendation. So I started started to do that. I started to separate them and my body started to feel better. Um and that's kind of where I sort of now I have this training philosophy that I've always followed. Um so yeah, basically it came from just not. Um yeah I guess it came from just not really having a body that could kind of handle that type of training because I I do, I don't move I need to still open my hips and get my shoulders healthier and and get in a proper squat and and learn how to overpress overhead press properly and all these things and I did not get at those.
1: Something you just skimmed over and I I didn't know this. Did you qualify for the Olympic trials or actually run in the Olympic trials for Can- for Canada?
2: No, I, I ran in the Olympic trials. And-, and you just
1: skimmed over that, like, no big deal. Like, that is that is well, sort of the epitome yeah. of an athlete in our sports. Like, And you just brushed by it in five seconds. Like, can we talk about that for a sec? What did you qualify in? Because I don't think it's that
2: impressive. I is that impressive?
1: Bracken, is that impressive that she ran in the Olympic trials? Yes. It could be for any okay. small rinketing country, and
0: Canada is okay. not. Okay, supportive. how many athletes do you know personally that ran in Olympic trials?
2: Yeah, I know. That's a good way of putting it. I guess I just have this, I know, I know, well, how many athletes do I know now that have ran in the Olympic trials? Like all the girls like that I train with in New York, quali- like they all qualify for the trials. Right. I, I think that marathon standard is, I don't get me started on the Olympic trials. It's just, okay, this is what I'm <laughs> going to say about the Olympic trials. Oh, I get all like, okay, it's called the Olympic trials, which means when you go, you're trying out for the Olympics. But how can you say if if the standard, say, for the marathon is 25 minutes slower than a time that's going to get to the Olympics, you have to be prepared to run a minute per mile faster to have a Mm -hmm. shot of making the Olympics. So don't say that you're trying out for the Olympics because you're not. Right,
1: <laughs> like, right, right. And like, what if like? you yeah, like? Two or 300 women qualified, 400 women maybe qualified. Yeah, in and,
2: yeah. And I, and that's what I'll say, but I'd like to leave it on this. Like those times are still incredible. You hit an Olympic trials qualifying time and you're a phenomenal runner. Hands down. I'm not taking that away. It's just people who don't understand run times um we'll, we'll think because they went to the Olympic trials that she had a shot at the Olympics and that isn't true um, I still
0: want to hear about it If but before you tell about it, I, I do want to echo your point Like I I really appreciate you saying that and I agree with you Some of the trial standards are so soft that they're misleading however Over time in my career and watching the sport, I have come to the firm conclusion that you just cannot apologize for other people's standards. You can't apologize for how many people told the line. You can't apologize for what they said is okay. You can only take care of what you did. And you hit a standard that you didn't set, but they set. And that's an accomplishment. So I agree, times need to be changed and moved. But you also did accomplish something that someone else said is impressive. And you met that standard
2: that's a really good way to put it. And I think that that's really important in our world of obstacle course racing, because there's so many different races and people get like, Oh, but so-and-so wasn't there. And I wouldn't have done as well. If, if, if they were there, this wasn't a championship race or this, 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 and it just comes down to like, now our sport has so many different um, championships. Like who cares about the championships anymore? Like, because there's so many different ones and yeah, you just, I like that. Like you, you, Your own standards, and if you meet them, like congratulate yourself and be proud of that because they are all just really arbitrary standards.
0: You can only race who shows up, and yeah, and that's it. Like, you show up, you do your job, and you don't have to apologize that some other stud didn't show up.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. Um, yeah, but the Olympic trials, uh, so it was 2008. Um, how old are you? I don't, oh, oh. I don't know. What, how many years is that ago? 12 and I'm 30. So I was 18. Oh, yeah. Is that right. Okay. Did I do the math? Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, I went to the, I went there. It was in Toronto. Um, I forget what the standard was. I think the standard was like
1: 1730. So you
2: went in the 5k. I went in the 5k. Yeah. And I had ran like seventeen oh what? I think that's 06 was my PB. Um, and now I keep running like 17.09 or 17.11, like when I'm in shape, I'm like, cannot get that PB. I actually, sorry, I did go off tangent, but I think that um, to give myself some motivation without these races, I'm not going to say, well, maybe I'll say this, I might, because of deficit and all this stuff, I might actually, for the first time, want to get a PB in the 5K. I think that would be really cool. It's like 20 years in the making. Not really, but like, yeah, I a mean, long time in the it. making. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. So yeah, I think I might. If this race season like doesn't happen until 2021, I, I might like put a 5K time trial in my program um, late summer, early fall, and just sort of see what I can do. Um, Why don't you, anyways? anyways uh, because I'm just really enjoying myself right now, <laughs> and uh, I just um, I'm not quite I'm not quite ready to give up the lifestyle I've been having right now for the last three months. It's um, very nice not having anxiety about racing and performing and just um, having fun and, and working on my business and doing other things that, um, I let go with race season. So, um, but yeah, the trials, um, what was I going to say about them? I don't know. There's not much to say them. Like I got lapped by the girl that, oh yeah, there's a kind of a good story. Um, so I like ended up in the paper because of the trials, because they took a picture of the girl who was actually in the winning and going to the Olympics. And I was right behind her but i was coming into my bell lap and she was finishing. So they had like in the newspaper. So it's like awesome because i was so I was like 400 meters behind potentially making the olympics. Um, oh, did you perform well
1: that day? Were you happy with your performance or was it did you lay an egg?
2: Um there wasn't i guess there wasn't that many people that qualified because it was a really spread out heat so i just remember having no one to run with. And so like i ran well considering i had really no one to really i wasn't in like a pack.
0: You were in no man's land the whole time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So it was just kind of like another race. Like it wasn't really anything special about it. It was just like another 5k that I was doing in that summer. Like, there's nothing. Yeah, I've got nothing for you guys. Um, but I guess that's the highlight is getting lapped by an Olympian and getting your picture taken. Um, it looks like I was right on her <laughs> tail.
1: <laughs> you mentioned like, yeah, it's nice not to have like the anxiety that comes along with racing And not a lot of people talk about how anxious, like even the top end people, I get anxiety before a race and hard time sleeping and the buildup and the general like heightened sense all season of like you're on edge a little more with things. Um, I'm just curious, was a race like that, like, I guess you just said it was another 5k, were you really amped up? And was that like a really big, like monumental experience for you running in the Olympic trials along with all the anxiousness and and that, or was it just another day?
2: That's why I quit running um after university i can handle like being nervous before i was just so sick of it it's like this mm-hmm. freaking sucks i hate staying up all night before the race even two nights before the race i hate the whole week leading up to it you're thinking about every little detail did i put my noon tablet in this water i don't know did i already have enough flexurized today i don't know how much carbs am i eating am i carb deficient i don't know did i sleep enough times like Um, should I hang out with this person or are they too mentally draining for me to hang out with right now? Like you just become, you're just obsessive. Like every little detail, like it just like took over my life. Like I I was mean to my parents because, and they just accepted that Faye has a race this week. So she's going to be a complete nightmare all week. And everyone just put up with that because I was a star athlete and I just got so sick of it. Like I just, I hate the anxiety I hate. And I actually think that I finally at 30, like I don't have much anxiety anymore. And that's sold from the fact that I actually have like life experience now that I understand that like there are more important things in life. And that this crying after a race and not being able to sleep the night before just does not deserve my attention anymore. Like it's just, it's just not, it's not, it's not important. Um, You know, like you can be upset. And, And I think about it, About my friends, like even my friends that are here, um, you know, they have bad days at work in the office. Do they bring it home and cry about it and and be a nightmare and be miserable to be around because they had a bad day in the office? No, they deal with their shit and move on. And and that's kind of how I've now been approaching um, racing. And it's hard because it's also like not just work. It's a passion of mine. And it's running is just so hard that it it breaks you when you don't have a good day out there. And so it's it's easier to say than than do, but yeah, I I finally feel like I'm actually a real adult who doesn't sweat the small stuff anymore. And that feels like really good. And I think that's gonna help me hopefully stay in the sport a little longer than I had initially planned.
0: Well Kirk, I'm glad you asked your question instead of mine because this is so key for people to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us, I'm sure hear this all the time, like, oh, the elites, they, they just make it look so easy or like they're just so fast. They don't they're not suffering out there like everyone else. And I, I just want to like like you said before, Kirk, shake them. Be like they're you performing at a higher level. And that is it. Like any mental hang up you have, pros have any physical distress you have, pros have like you get pre-race diarrhea pros get it but now they have the added pressure of money on the line like you get pre-race anxiety pros get it but now they have sponsors on the line like everybody gets this yeah
2: Yeah. and i think like and like maybe it's we're so lucky i think that all three of us we've started coaching because i know that that's been it's been so therapeutic for me to talk to my athletes and it's almost like they're calling me because they want like like a therapy session perhaps me to help them on my their race anxiety and by helping them they help me and it's just it's it's really nice so I'm lucky to have like all those people to, to talk to about this because yeah it's important and I would never want people to quit racing of the because of the reasons I quit running essentially because they just couldn't deal with the anxiety of it like that's mm-hmm. just a, such a shitty reason to leave the sport.
1: Bracken and I had this conversation off off uh, recording. And we we're like, how do you think things are going with the podcast we were discussing things? And Bracken's like, this is this is therapy for me. I love doing this because I talk through everything anyways, and it's it brings everything back to light. And if for no other reason, like people are like, you're going to keep this up? And we're like, yeah, this is this is the way we talk through things too. Like this is helpful for us. So it's just funny you mm-hmm. say that about chatting with your athletes. It's part of our process now, too. And yeah, and that's that's
0: interesting. I I don't open up to people about a lot of things. That's just, I don't know if it's the guy thing. I don't know if it's it's because I'm always listening to other people, but I just don't like generally air my dirty laundry to people, like sometimes to my wife, sometimes to my dad, and that's about it. But what I found is that if I can talk to other people about theirs, I work through my own mess through their... Through their mess, and at the end of these calls, mm-hmm. I always find myself saying, "Hey, thanks for taking the time today." And half the time, they're laughing, be like, <laughs> "Like I'm paying you to talk to you. Like don't thank me." And I realized, I think I got as much out of this as you did. Like these are active yeah. therapy sessions for me. And it's it's a, like yours is a great reminder. At thirty, you started getting over race anxiety. At twenty-seven, I started getting over race anxiety. Cody Moat, after he fell apart at the Breckenridge beast one year had a talk with me afterwards we just kind of walked and talked and we weren't super close and he just opened up he's like i i might just be done with this i all last night i woke up like every 30 seconds i couldn't sleep my heart rate was at 170 like i thought i was having a panic attack he's like i'm 39 years old why am i doing this to myself this is pathetic like i just need to think am i even going to do this anymore and he won worlds two months later Like, this is a 39-year-old man who is a world champion who is trying to decide if he should even compete anymore because race anxiety was so destructive. Like, it, A, Mm -hmm. affects everyone, and B, you can conquer it at any point in your life. So just because at 18 Mm -hmm. or 20 you're a nervous wreck does not mean you have to give up on competition.
1: And another example of that is Robert Killian very publicly on Instagram and so said, he was had been struggling with race anxiety out of nowhere. He checked his heart rate in the middle of the night. This is for his post. Said he was at 140 beats a minute at 3 a.m. lying in bed, and it was affecting him. And I would almost argue, I mean, everybody goes through a form of it. Well, everybody who cares about their performance in some regard. I would almost argue the race anxiety is a little worse at the top end of the sport when there's pressure to perform. Um, so I think it's a normal thing. People People seem so ashamed of race anxiety, but it's – it's
0: very normal yeah guys. yeah you get nervous to grab someone's hand on the first date like do you get nervous to lean in for a kiss do you get nervous to go to a job interview like of course you do because you are invested you care about it so Mm -hmm. it's only Mm -hmm. natural that you get anxiety and nerves about something that you have invested in in training and financially and you care about the outcome it's finding a healthy way to channel it that's the struggle
1: Mm-hmm. Reckon and I, we, we've talked, we said the day, the day I don't feel anxious or get a little anxiety or nervous about it is the day I quit the sport.
2: Yeah, no, hundred yeah. percent. But I think like, I always find like the more stuff I got going on, the less nervous I, I get. Like if there is something so scary and I think maybe this is like, perhaps like not one of, maybe it's one of the reasons I haven't like uprooted my whole life and focused solely on, you know, racing is because I just keep thinking. If my anxiety of racing is bad right now, could you imagine if you, that's all you have? Like I decide, like, I'm not going to coach anymore. It's too time consuming. Um, I'm not going to live in a city with my boyfriend because it's impeding my training and just put everything into it and then say, okay, now go see if it's worth it. Get on that race course, go race hard. Let's see if it worked. That to me is so freaking terrifying because Mm -hmm. I would be, if I didn't go well, I would really, it was like, I failed. Like I completely failed right Right now things don't go well. And I hate to say this, but I kind of like that. I have a bit of, let's call them excuses. Like I kind of like that I don't have a good race. Um, I can say like, I'm the fastest girl from Manhattan, you know, and I can like (laughs) blow that off and be like, I'm still good for someone who has a business. I'm still this, I'm still that. Like, and maybe that's that kind of attitude. I don't think is what it takes to be a world champion. I think that to be a world champion, you do have to sacrifice everything. So that being said, I, I don't think it's fair for me to say that that is my goal. And I, it isn't because if it was, I would have uprooted my life and changed things. Um, and that's why I get a, I get frustrated because I've had good performances in that world. I've been third, fourth, 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 I think. Um, and everyone asks, yeah. like, do you want to be a world champion? And my answer is like, no yeah, I do if I don't have to change my life, but I'm not willing to do what it takes. Um, and, and that's okay. And I think that it's really so important for like not just the pros, but for like anyone to understand, like I hate when people, I guess, make goals when they're, they are unaware and so oblivious of what it actually takes. Yep. And, uh-huh. and I, I, it just drives me nuts. So when people ask me that question, like now I've just been responding, like, no, I don't want to be a world champion. Like if you ask me my goals, I would say, I want to tow every start line with, with my competitors thinking like they could win today. Mm-hmm. Like that's how competitive I want to be.
1: Even though you heard, you know, world, world champs is in Dubai at sea level on a flatter course. That didn't make a twinge of like,
2: Oh, maybe, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, that definitely <laughs>
1: changed things. <laughs> so that yeah. definitely
2: changed things. Um, but now I can't even think of that. Like, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, yeah. But I think they have a contract for a few years um, so yes, that definitely changed things. Um, and this is going to sound so funny because I, I, I like had this epiphany. I was like, ah, oh, this is going to sound so dumb, but I'm going to say it anyways. I was like, oh my God, I just realized it can't be technical because there's, it's just sand. Like there's not like going to be rocks or roots or anything under the sand. Like it's just sand. So it's impossible to make a technical course because you know how you get some courses, you are know, like, oh, they're not going to be technical. And then they put me through. Like shitty stuff. And you're like, you have all this open running space, it's so beautiful. Let's use this. And they're like, now we're going to go through this like shitty, like pond and branches. They won't be able to do that there because it's just sand. (laughs) I have bad news for you.
0: At least a third of the course can be technical. Really? Yeah, they still have some sections there. Any place that isn't sand is extremely rocky and craggy, usually. Oh, shit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) However, having raced there multiple times, I can say that in sand and in that climate, work capacity is king. And that has to be a really, really good thing for you.
2: If, yeah, okay. That's, we should almost have a whole episode. If um, this race does go on, we should almost have a whole episode about tips for training for that type of terrain. If you've been there in that type of um, event, because it's so different from the other events that we've, we've had in the sport, that'd be like really interesting to just you a whole topic on that because of the sand I tell you I was just running on the beach yesterday and I'm not like I was like this is terrible this feels like just like strength this feels like strength mm-hmm. a strength workout for me not like like um but it depends on how deep and anyways um uh, go to that uh, another podcast
0: we did a, w- a long time ago we, we did, did. A long time ago
2: oh you guys haven't aired it yet
1: yeah it was our like first or second Training Tuesday, or something, when they announced Abu Dhabi, we did an episode real quick. Oh, on, I didn't listen to
2: that one. I wasn't fans of you guys then. I was okay. So, uh, <laughs> it's funny because Jessica and I were gonna do a podcast, like our own podcast. And then I messaged her, I was like, I think Bracken and Kirk like beat us to the punch because we want to do exactly what you guys were gonna, we're are doing. We wanted, we're so sick of these podcasts that are just like OCR drama. And I was like, mm-hmm. we need like actual training advice. So we were gonna do one and then you guys did one and I was like shit, Jess, like they definitely did it way better than us because you guys have um you're you're good together. You're you're more enter you're very entertaining. Like Jessica and I, I don't I don't think we're as enter- we'd be as entertaining as you guys. You guys do a good job of like keeping it fun still. Where we oh, trunc
0: like, <laughs> when you told me that, that was one of the nicest things I heard. Because my big fear coming into this is that we were both gonna be the straight person and we'd have no like it'd get too dry.
2: No, it's good. It's really, really good. Thanks, Faye.
1: So let's go back. Okay, so you uh, now you're doing all these hit classes. I want to finish your story. It takes a long It's <laughs> taking a long time to get through Faye's story. No, it's good. You keep bringing up really nice tangents that are worth diving into, honestly, which I really appreciate. Um, so you're now you're just hammering hit classes with shitty form uh, after college, and then somehow OCR comes along. I'm guessing. So what what happened there? How that happened?
2: Yeah. So, um, my ex-boyfriend at the time, he's actually a pretty good OCR racer. Uh, Josh Stride, he he raced in Canada. I don't know if he races, um, anymore what he's up to. It was one of those breakups. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) anyways, um, he wanted to do one and I remember telling him, I was like, okay, I'll do this. Like we were just, we were just started dating and it was kind of just like this. He was like, oh, she's like a really fit girl. Like I should probably get into running. And like, he did get into running and then he's like, we should do this event. And I was like, it wasn't going to be competitive for me. Like I was just, this was just like a fun thing that we could do together um, as we're building our relationship. And so we went out and I decided to just like race it. Like I, you know, I was going to stay with, you know, you're going to do the whole same with you da, 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 da. and then you just say, I went out, raced it. It was a red deer race, I think. And and it was a Spartan super or I don't know, but I ended up be winning by I think 21 minutes or something. Um <laughs> And I finished, I was like, that was so dumb. I had such a bad attitude about it. I was like, that was so dumb. And like, everyone was like, you're so good. And everyone was like, oh my God, like uh, just amazed by me. And I remember walking away, I'd be like, no real athletes do that. Like there is no one there that is an athlete. Like, and and I had this like, and then I, and it was like to that being said, like it's different because it wasn't Canada. It wasn't as big. And then I went to the States to do one. And then I came like fifth or something. And I got beat by all these people. And I was like, okay, I take that back. Like there are legit athletes in this sport. Um, and then that kind of just um, made me realize like I, I think the bear actually, yeah, this is what happened. So I ended up um, really coming close to Rose, I think. And then the bear, Matt Navakovich, who you guys had on, he said to me, He was like, oh, you're really good. Like, what's your background? And he had told me that there were like pros in this sport. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, there are no, like, and he, and I was confused, but then they were wearing Reebok. And I started thinking like, shit, are people like paid by Reebok to race? And I was like, I was like, oh my God, is this how I'm going to get out of the corporate world? Like, am I going to become a pro and get like a a $50,000 contract at Reebok and and get paid by all these other companies and just do this? And so I decided to um, focus on it. Um, And I remember I told Josh, I was like, I just want to warn you, like now that I'm going to be doing this competitively, like I will change, like like, (laughs) beware, like I will become a different person. Um, and I did my competitive when I'm really wanting to be the best at something. I go bad shit crazy. Like I like nothing else matters. I'm so selfish. I can't even I can't do anything else. And that's what I did. I became this really selfish athlete for a couple of years. And then I got really good. And then I um left my job because I made enough money through sponsors. Um, but I don't necessarily want to be that way. In, in my current relationship and in my current life. So I'm a little bit softer now and and I do think perhaps it's effect, affected my racing, but I'd like the person overall that I, that I am now more. And I think that's important, so.
0: That's one aspect that's overlooked when people consider the dedication and the sacrifices needed to be a world champion. When someone is, now there are the rare, the, the exceptional people who like, they're at their best when they're working a job and when they have a family and everything, but the vast majority, of the very top of a sport, they don't just give up where they live or their hours of the day. They give up being a like a good partner and a good sibling and a mm-hmm. good son or daughter. Like at, at the top of my training, I was crabby all day. Like I was working out or I was wanting to recover from my second workout of the day. And I was always tired and mm-hmm. I wanted to nap. And if like the kids needed something or if dinner needed to be made, I kind of expected that it was done for me. And Lisa put up mm-hmm. with it really well, but it was also the worst our marriage has ever been. In Colorado, when Mm -hmm. we were in paradise, we had the lowest point of our marriage. That's when we bottomed out. And Mm -hmm. I was also the best racer I've ever been, like, by far. And I knew Mm -hmm. exactly what the cost was going to be. And we left that. And for us, that was the right choice. And for other people, the right choice is to be the world champion. And in other sports, that's life-changing money. You alter your family's trajectory. So... It, it, it all comes down to the individual yeah. person, but people fail to recognize the, the relationship strain that pro athletes put on everyone mm-hmm. around them.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this part, like I could go on about all the personality flaws that I had when I was the best in the sport and how that impacted relationships. I mean, I have endless stories about that, but I think one thing that my track coach told me quite young, and I think about this all the time now, because I never really understood it at the time, but I think about it all the time now because it makes perfect sense. He came up to me after I had a bad track workout and he said, Faye, there's you're doing three things and you need to pick two. And he's like, you are so your social life, your um, school and track. Those are the three things. And you're doing all three of them and you need to pick two. And like basically let me know which ones you're going to pick. And I never picked. I just continued to do all three of them of still above average still very very good but not to the potential that i was capable of and i think now it's like i'm still that way i still do all three i fairly well i still have a business i still have a relationship and i still race and i can't pick two because i just Mm -hmm. i can't like they're they're, it's impossible so i just couldn't so yeah i think that i think that you're i think that's so right Is like people don't understand like it sometimes it's, it's okay to just say like, it's just, it's just not worth the sacrifice and that's frowned upon in just even how it sounds coming out of my mouth. But if if you're frowning upon that, perhaps you don't understand the sacrifice. You haven't really talked to someone who's done it and actually dove in and actually had an honest, open conversation about them. That's not just looking at Instagram and not just imagining their life the way you want to imagine it. Like really talk with those people.
0: Well, look at any other profession. Like musicians, how often are musicians home? Or corporate CEOs, like how many times do they work less than 80 hour weeks? You know, how many weekends are they home and nights spending time with their family and kids? Like lawyers, how many times do they just like say, no, I'm not going to get absorbed in this case. Like it doesn't work in any, if you're going to be a world best, like top 10 in the world at your profession, you're going to be vacant from your life. But sports Mm -hmm. is a play play thing, um, to an outsider. And so it's considered selfish. Whereas like a corporate head honcho, it's like, Hey, you're running a multi-million dollar business. Like you better be selfish. And once you're in it, it doesn't matter. It's not play. Like there's no difference between what you do and someone else does. And so that's, it's almost more difficult in sports to be insanely selfish because there's not a benefit to society that's seen to a lot of people.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that. Totally.
0: So Faye, um, so you found Spartan, you got into
1: Spartan, you quit everything. That first season for you, that was it, huh? you um you said, uh, I get it, I like it, I want it, I'm going for it. And when did when did we've been having this conversation about life balance? When did that shift for you and and why? As far as I'm all in, I'm selfish, I all I care about is racing and training to this Faye we have now who who is okay, is much happier.
2: I, I think something came into my life. that's more important. Um, yeah. I think sure. that's the best way to put it. So yeah, I, I guess I fell in love and I don't, I have a guy that I need to be, we need to be in New York and it's just the way it is. Um, and I've been doing the best as, that I can there, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't have a great environment and the more and more um, the, the pros start quitting their jobs and moving to, you know, it's basically what's happened is everyone, like I, I think I was like able, I was one of the first that was able to leave my job, focus fully on training. Um, so I was better than everyone else. And now everyone else is kind of doing that same thing. Now lots of people are leaving their job, putting their job, and now they're becoming just as good as me, if not, and if not better in some cases. Um, so it's just, it's really a lifestyle, it's come down to a lifestyle decision. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I just, I guess the shift happened because I, I think I got, and I also in combination with like finding something that was more important to me and and falling in love and all those things and moving to New York. I think that, um, I also became really tired. Like I think this compound of years and years of running, um, I really, I really am tired. Um, and I, I can't do the same amount. I can't I don't think I can push myself quite as hard as I used to. And I think I'm very, very burnt out. Um, And so I naturally don't want to invest as much time in it as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Everything you do hurts so badly that if it's not the main focus of your passion and joy, it's just not worth doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. Like it is, you have to, you have to enjoy this space. You, you, you have two options. You either cannot enjoy it, um, but you have to be compensated in mm-hmm. a way to make it worth it. And, and that does not exist in our sport. I mean, unless you, you know, have a very, very low cost of living and you think that, you know, X amount of dollars is will make you rich in my life. Like, I, you know, does that little bit of money we get is not, he's not paying the bills. So that's not, you know, that's one end of it. And the other end of it is like, yeah. Or, you have to enjoy it. Like you have to have something money or pretty much enjoyment. And it, it, where I, where, you know, I don't have the, I'm not getting paid is ton of money to do this. And the enjoyment is kind of taken away too, because I don't get to run in the mountains. I just run in Pencil Park over and over and over. So I kind of don't get either from, from the sport, but that being said, it is still a hobby for me and there's nothing else I'd rather do. Like I'm here at the Hamptons. Like as soon as we get off this call, like I don't need to go for a run, but like, I will go for a run. Um, Even though my friends are out, like um, probably having some drinks at the beach. um, I'll join them in a couple hours, but like, I still want to run and, and, and that'll never change. I, I, running to me is like brushing my teeth. It just happens every day. It it feels weird when I don't do it. Um, And I'm always going to be like that. That's never going to leave. I just don't want to always have to do it so hard and so fast and so long. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's all.
1: I'm pretty sure John Yatsko last week said the exact same quote that running to him is like waking up and brushing his teeth. I almost think I'm going to go back and listen. It may be verbatim. Um, how are you looking at the season right now? Uh, now that we're in our interesting situation, do you have any concrete plans or are you just taking things day to day, week to week right now with your training and racing and outlook and all that?
2: Um, yeah, I'm just taking things um, kind of, I guess, week by week. So I've been planning these like three week Um, cycles. So I I plan out my workouts for three weeks. And then the fourth week, I give myself um, a flex week, and I just enjoy things. Um, That's something that I that I wouldn't do normally, but because I feel like I have so much time now to get into shape. um, I'm just I'm letting myself rest when I want to rest instead of like always just pushing the envelope. So that's the biggest Mm -hmm. difference. I'm not pushing the envelope on anything. I'm not, oh, make that tempo longer. Oh, make those intervals harder. Oh, make this you know, I, I'm just doing I would honestly say I'm just doing the bare minimum I'm doing um, and not to not to um, not to call out any of the athletes that I coach or say they don't train hard. But I'm kind of training similar to how they train. Um, and the only reason they train that way is because they've got other things they've um, going on in their life. And, and they're some mm-hmm. of them are ready enough for 70 miles a week. So I'm training kind of like my athletes. I actually look at some of the workouts and I'm like, oh, that one looks fun. I'll do that one. So I, I'm not training like an, a pro athlete right now. I'm training just like a very fit um, human.
1: But to your point, bare, bare minimum is still, you're running like 50 miles a week or so probably. And,
2: yeah, and, yeah, and
1: yeah. Some, some might consider that more than the bare minimum, um, but you have different Okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah and I, I want to hear too, because you've talked about it a little bit, but you and uh, your business partner have a coaching business. Can you tell us more about that, how that got started, what you guys are doing there?
2: Yeah. So kind of the short story is, um, when I started obstacle course racing, my best friend, like Jess from Canada, she, she's went to the 2016 Olympics and I started racing and I was like, Ooh, this is a little risky to like leave my job, but like, maybe we should like try and make some money coaching. I'm getting all these questions on Instagram about it. And I'm like responding, but it's taking a lot of time. I should try and monetize this to be honest. And, um, so we did, so we created an, we have an app and we filmed like hundreds and hundreds of videos. Um, and we created this, yeah, basically this app that we program all our athletes um, programs through through all through videos. Um, and and yeah, basically the conversation, I partnered with Jess because I was like, my, I was like, I don't think that these people who I'm racing against and running against understand that this is a foot race. So they need to run. And so I don't think they know how to run. And so I want to hire you to do this business with me because you're like the fastest and smartest like woman I know so we all do the running and I'll do the strength and we'll that'll decrease like the amount of time and we can put the program together and then we're having two eyes on it and and um we can take more clients that way because there's two of us and so yeah we just did it and it's been it's been great yeah I've been really really enjoying it
1: um Didn't, didn't I see that you just took Lindsay Lindsay Atkins or Lindsay Webster on as a athlete did I see that right
2: yeah, yeah, we did, and I, I, I'm not obviously. Our her success has nothing to do with. We just started coaching her, and I, I don't like. That's not like I'm not like saying. Oh, Faye coaches Lindsay Webster because that's not the case, and we don't even do her endurance training. She strictly just we do her strength training work. Um, or I do it. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, not not the endurance stuff yet. Um, and it's hard because like, I would I would love just to do the endurance stuff for her, but she's been so successful. That, like it's almost scary like to work with someone like that i don't want to screw it up and i don't blame her for not asking us to be her do her full program but yeah we take care of her strength mm-hmm. um and that that's been fun so she's obviously our top athlete but
1: Bre- Breck, and how how many guys in the top five of the top five field would be willing to coach another guy in the top five of the men's field <laughs> just like you know what yeah. i like you so much i'm gonna coach my competition that's just a very selfless act. That's well,
0: both ways. like it's it's cool from from Phaen to be supporting one of her direct competitors, and it's really cool sign of like humility and openness from Lindsay to reach out to a competitor and be like, "Hey, I want to improve, and I think you can help me improve." I think that's like that's OCR in a nutshell. That encompasses that. Think of another sport. Like, would Jet yeah. of Jess's competitors in 2016 would they have been like, "Hey, could you write my programming?" Like, not a chance.
2: <laughs> no. No, we've got the nicest people in this sport. That's for sure. I'm a huge fan of all the girls. I really miss, I really miss them. I'm sure you guys miss the guys seeing them during this time too. Other than
0: Bracken, we get enough of each other. Yeah. You, you, you guys, (laughs) like you need social contact. I need distance. I am a, I don't <laughs> like, people. This is, I like people. I like people on video chat. I know. i get. Like, away. after
2: higher up. I know. I know that about you, Bracken. I'm always trying to peer pressure you to come out after these events. I'm always like, all right, Bracken, we go going drinking? And you're like, oh, I'm going to go home, see my family. i like, oh, no, not again. Come out. <laughs>
0: man, you know what? They wake up at 6 a.m. no matter what time I go to bed. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. Uh, Faye, you didn't mention the name of your business and where people can find you.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, um. oh, they don't see it's that. Do you like our logo? i got s I've we finally made merchandise and business cards. <laughs> That's I've official. Hand, I've been handing out business cards here. Um, yeah, no one cares about business cards.
0: So Grit Coaching, <laughs> what, what's your website for Grit Coaching?
2: It's Grit Coaching, it's uh, gritcoaching.net, www.gritcoaching.net. Yeah, I'm worried about um, business cards and T-shirts when I'm like, "Hey, you have a marketing opportunity right here on the Running Public Podcast," and I can't even. <laughs> do that I you guys. Um, no, yeah, yeah that, it's that's where they can um, find us. Um, on our Instagram is Script Coaching. There's a link, I think, on to our website on my Instagram page. But yeah, give us a follow. Um, we don't um, do too much on our Instagram. We don't like to share too much stuff out of respect of our paying um, athletes. We don't give away free workouts on our Instagram. You got to sign up. Um, we just do that because yeah, we want to respect people who are paying and not give away all the goods, but, um, we will do a free consult with you guys and and tell you guys about our methods and, um, that's completely free of charge. So if you're on the fence, um, send us a message and yeah.
0: Well, I I can say two things first after listening to you today, it's very clear that you have a perspective, a well-rounded perspective that athletes can use. Um, i'm a firm believer that the best athletes in the world don't always make good coaches it's the athletes who have struggled and have to sort out why things work that make a good coach and you've clearly gone through the mental battles that would make you a good coach so that's number one and the second is i just don't think there's enough vocal um women in our sport who are like taking a leadership role and that's not a knock on them it's just that the men's side got started before the women's in our sport and so it's a few years ahead so I, i believe that Anyone needing coaching would be wise to look to you, but especially if you would need someone who's in the headspace of the female mind, like your coaching service, I can't think of a better option.
2: Well, thanks. And I obviously listen to your guys' podcast. So I think I know that you guys are great coaches as well. And I actually might um, be moving. Well, I might be, well, maybe not anymore, but I was going to be um, moving again and trying to get some treadmill workouts. I was going to actually ask you guys uh-huh. for, for some of those because I don't do any treadmill treadmill stuff and some of those podcasts you guys had about some of those workouts sound like it might be kind of fun to switch it up for me too so
1: yeah yeah that's more of a means to an end here when you don't have mountains as well that's we've been forced into learning the the ins and outs of the treadmill here
2: i know i respect that i just haven't i mean i have a treadmill at my gym not anymore i've been maybe too mentally weak to even attempt getting using that as a no i think that i consistently
1: I know you're a grinder and I don't, nothing comes to mind more than the treadmill as far as is grinding yeah. it out. Um, I wish we could just bullshit for another hour. Cause actually this is great. And I got more things I want to ask you. So we'll just have to have you on again. But the last thing I just want to make sure is people that are, that got your back and are supporting you, you know, emotionally and financially, who's, who's taking care of these days that you want to give. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Um, Ray ban has been like my big supporter through my whole career. So they do compression gear. Just like super, like, just I race, and you guys probably see me those socks, and um, they have great tops, so I, yeah, that's my compression sponsor. Um, I just beam CBD, a huge sponsor of mine as well, and um, VJ shoes. Um, so those are, those are the three, yeah,
0: that's fantastic. We're all on the VJ train, yes, we are.
1: I
2: know, yeah,
0: we are. Got my hat on right now, well, Fay, uh, Kirk's nice. right, there's a lot uncovered that we still want to hit. So we would like to have you back on. And honestly, I'd like to have Jess on as well. Um, and awesome. so that that would be cool if we could arrange that for the future, because I'm sure that people did not get everything they wanted um, today, because you've, you've alluded to so many things we can dive deeper into. So let's just say this is part one and leave it at that.
2: Yes, sorry, I hope I didn't. Um go away from the initial questions. It's just, there's, there's so, there's so much there that I was like, Oh, we start with this. <laughs> so sorry. I had you know, to follow like the template per se as well.
1: <laughs> no, all I know is when I'm when we're recording a podcast and if I ever feel bored, then I think the audience will feel bored. And if I ever just want to keep talking, I know that we're doing something right. And I don't want this to end, but I have to because I'm paying a lot of money in a half an hour to get my legs fixed.
0: So I got I to get there. Okay. My last thing is, I I thank you for your honesty and openness because you moved into things that made this podcast go long because they were important that a lot of people won't even, like, they won't broach that subject. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah, of course. Anytime. Well, it's great chatting with you guys. And yeah, yeah. take care. Stay safe. So hopefully we get out of this sooner than later. I'm happy, Kirk, that you're back working. Um, that's great. The gyms yeah. are open. So
1: as Good. of tomorrow, thanks. It was great talking yeah. to you, Faith. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. Bye guys.
1: See you again soon. Bye. See ya.
2: See ya.